Welcome to the show today. Our oh. guest today is Damian Dayton. Thanks for having me, Jay. Yeah. So excited to be here. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, so Damian is the current CEO of Creatively, my partner at Creatively, Creative Genius. Well, now you've gone too far. Okay. <laughs> we'll stop there. <laughs> uh, so yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, Damian. Uh, so I've been in production for about 20 years and, uh, you know, First, my first love was kind of falling in love with documentaries and children's show, which are very different. And we kind of noticed, uh, I don't know, about 10 years ago that that production was kind of becoming a commodity. And that's when we started, uh, I started looking at what was happening online and uh, got into this very kind of niche field of advertising online, which it's the only... Um, medium that I'm aware of where if a commercial is good, you actually pay less for it, you know? Yeah. Everybody pays the same rate for a Super Bowl ad. But on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, you can create your own Super Bowl every day. And and that's when I really started kind of digging into that niche and getting into it. And you and I met, gosh, it was probably about six, seven years ago, uh, worked on a couple projects together. And it's like, hey, people could pay us to have this much fun. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And been, they do. And they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, we'll just look at each other like, yeah, we're at work right now. Why do you think, uh, I mean, we've we've talked about this so much, but why do you think most <laughs> brands are so bad at making their own commercials? You know, I think it's really simple. And it makes a lot of sense because we run some of our own brands as well. And it's interesting. We can fall, our, fall into some of the same traps. I think when you're working on your own ads, it starts navel gazing really quickly. Yeah. Kind of in this cave. And when you first start the company, you're solving a problem for consumers. And then when you're in the company, you're starting to solve the company's problems. And you're looking so granularly at the things that you've been working on and the slight color change from light blue to light gray. And you stop thinking about it as a consumer because you're delivering it to them. And it's I've had this conversation with a lot of CEOs before with, when they haven't liked an idea or they really love an idea that doesn't work for consumers. Like, well, of course, because you think like a CEO, unless CEOs are buying your product, <laughs> they're not going to think that way. Yeah. And we have to think, you know, I think the, the number one skill that you have to develop as a, a marketer is like extreme empathy for consumers. Yeah. So I think that's one thing, but I also think they're so narrowly focused, like, well, we've already told this really simple story about what our product does. We have to say all the things we haven't talked about yet, but really you're your job is to stay on target with what is the big story that you're trying to tell over and over again. Yeah. And you can refine that story, but it's always temp tempting to tell a story you haven't told yet instead of telling the same story, but tell it better, be more clear with it. So, yeah. um, and then I think the other thing is you can kind of get in a creative rut in, inside a company. Yeah. Um, as much as I love our internal brands, doing work for other brands always keeps us sharp, and yeah. we get to see trends that they're uh, that they're touching. And uh, you know, in genetics, there's this concept of hybrid vigor, like purebred dogs, like the weakest dogs in the world. Yeah, their genetics are pure, but by mixing new ideas and old ideas, you come up with great stuff. And I think all create creativity doesn't come from nowhere. Yeah. You know? There starts to be that vacuum internally, I think, and we've talked about this a lot, that 
you just start pitching the same ideas and you also have the excuses for why you aren't allowed to go outside that you know you talk to an internal creative team they're like well anytime we try and do something cool like what you guys do you know we get shut down or they don't believe us or and I think a lot of that is why we think so much about the power of an external group helping the internal group to really find these hidden gems that they talk about but they just don't think about so well and that brings up a really good point I, th- I think also internal groups main motivation is not to get fired yeah and we our main motivation is to get hired again and so they hmm, have that's to, a great point they have to de-risk everything they're doing yeah and they have to get it through committee and ours we have to get them to buy into our process and then we're going to swing for the fences yeah and we have to earn the next job but we so playing it safe will always lose for us yeah so we have to do big so that it makes a big difference in their business. Yeah. And so we have to swing big. And, but I would also say like, it's not just a dichotomy of inside versus outside because a key part of our process is working with the internal team, knowing that we can't come in and solve their problems that we really have to do it together. Yeah. A lot of our brainstorming involves their accounting team and their customer service team and their creative team um, looking for unique insights that they maybe haven't looked at themselves. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is just that I think one of the things that we haven't realized, I've been saying this to people and it always like, oh, that's a good point, is that with the shift from TV to social media advertising, we stopped doing big campaigns. And so I think that's one of the reasons why people are like, yeah, but you guys are really just making commercials. And it's like, yeah, but there's a reason why there's so much power behind that. And it's because creating a commercial that's going to be national and go to everyone and be seen by hopefully hundreds of millions of people, like with Pillow Cube has been seen, all of a sudden you start thinking about questions you don't worry about when you're making an ad every day. Like if you're making a picture ad that shows your product, you're not going to spend the same amount of time as like, hey, this is going to go like if you were to make a Super Bowl ad. And doing that has a power um, to, to really like get everyone to stop and say, hey, who are we actually? Who are we actually marketing to? Who do we want to buy our product? And that just doesn't happen when you're doing like day-to-day social media optimization. Well, yeah, on, on that kind of that performance scale, they're just like, well, if we could just, we're trying to move the needle 5%. And I mean, that in that mindset where we're trying to make big swings and say, hey, the world doesn't know who we are. Yeah. We have to not only tell them how they are, who we are, how to use the product, where to get it, and why it's better than the old stupid way of doing it. Yeah. And I think that's also why we really love disruptive brands and disruptive products, because that story is a lot more interesting. I'm not just trying to get them to remember a brand name. I'm, it involves a change in behavior Yeah. as well. What's a, a client that has surprised you has worked? You know, Defense Supply, I wasn't all on board when we first launched that, and that had a really great Kickstarter. Honestly, when we started Pillicube, I was like, this is going to be fun. I, I don't know if everybody's going to use this, you know, <laughs> yeah. because I wasn't the same demographic as you that was like a side sleeper that had this need that a pillow wasn't serving. And I was like, my pillow's okay. Yeah. But now I'm like the hardest core yeah. Pillicube sleeper. I'm like, oh, yeah, this nothing else. This fixed my sleep apnea. Yeah this fixed. My wife says, I don't snore as much. I sleep cooler. I don't move at night. Like all of these things that I didn't realize. And we told that story really well and explored it. And as a matter of fact, 
we're what three years in now, and I'm still working on iterations of the original yeah. Kickstarter video. Yeah. And it's interesting. Some of the stuff that we put in there that we realize, like, yeah, we don't really, we're not selling it for that. It's not really a yoga device anymore. Yeah, yeah. That was one of you know <laughs> yeah. points. But the core idea is still there. It's like, yeah, this is the best way. If you sleep on your slot side. Yeah. It still fills this gap in the market and this little gap between your head and shoulders better than anything else. Um, things that uh, other ones that I was like not sure of. I think when we launched um, sweater, I was really excited about the campaign we had done, but it was such a disruptive financial product. And normally we're kind of used to selling products that are disruptive, and so convincing people to invest money, even though it made a lot of sense to me, like it's clear that wealthy people use VC and that that's this great vehicle for change for them um, to not only grow their portfolio, but also affect change in the world, making that available to other people. Like this is a complicated, so how are we going to get people to listen to three minutes of this? And how are we going to get them to sign up when they can't buy right now? And and they signed up in droves. Yeah. Kind of making them the market leader in that. I mean, not to mention that it also hadn't been approved by the SEC. Yeah. <laughs> when we were working with, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're like, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. And like, you know. They're, they're confident, but you're like, uh, hopefully this works. Hopefully this works. Yeah. But I was just talking to, to Jesse today, you know, and they're working on a new thing. It's like, could we just brain? brainstorm a little bit with you guys. I know we're going to do another campaign again, but can we just brainstorm a little bit? And that's been, but you know, honestly, more often than not, there's like a campaign that I'm like, oh, this is going to totally work. Yeah. Like you kind of products that you want, just like, I don't drool over the Nikes and the Cokes of the world. Those are awesome brands, but I see a brand that nobody's heard of, but I just love. Yeah. I think that was our all of our immediate reaction after that first meeting when I came back with Stairslide. It was like, yeah, we can crush this. Yeah. I was like, I want to sell this so bad yeah. because I want it. Yeah. And there's nothing like it. And my kids want it. And there's yeah. nothing like it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I felt that way about Thread as well. Yeah. Which I, I was a little unsure of because we hadn't done a lot of fashion products. Yeah. And fashion is so much cool dependent. And we internally, we a lot of times say that cool is corrosive because it makes you not lose focus on what your product does and just trying to be, you can become a poser really. Yeah. But it was clear that the creation of their product was a love story. And then I was like, oh, we've got to tell the story. Yeah. I, and go to Hawaii to tell it. Yeah. <laughs> Those things. But the fact that after I was talking to my wife about it, she went out and bought two. And I'm like, honey, they gave us free samples. Like, yeah, but I got this one 15% off. And she carries two thread wallets with her now. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this is going to work. Yeah. I know. You know. Yeah. My wife still uses the one I got for her as a sample. Yeah. It's, it just kills it. What, uh, probably a good question is like, if someone comes to you and asks, what does creatively do? What's like your one minute explanation? Well, if you ask my wife, she's like, I'm still not sure. Yeah. If I'm not that interested in having a long conversation, like, oh, we make silly videos on the internet. But the better, I, like, we make video campaigns that grow online companies really rapidly. Now, they can they don't have to be online, but that's the bulk of what we do. Yeah. And to your point, like you were talking about earlier, like the effect of one commercial, people are kind of know us for one commercial, but on average, most clients, we're delivering at least 30 deliverables plus. Yeah. We're building these whole campaigns of funnel. So um, 
it's easiest to understand like, oh, we make a funny video. Not everything we do is funny, but yeah. humor plays a big role. And it almost always has a big impact on the brands. We see big shifts. It's not, if you're looking for like, an incremental improvement or a uh, trying to economize or make something flow better. That's we help people that are t- willing to take big swings to have a big product that or a great product that people just haven't heard about yet. Yeah. So yeah, I love it. Uh, why is Name of the Wind the best book ever? Name of the Wind is the best book ever, partially because it relates exactly to what we do. Yeah. So it's this fantasy book. Um, and I quote from it all the time. I, I think I introduced you to it. <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah. We both read it maybe seven times. And it was now. like a book I was like, I've never even heard of this. I was a little bit out of the yeah. the fantasy loop. Well, not really. I mean, I was reading Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, and I wasn't really in the fantasy loop. And yeah. I knew you were, but I was like, this book, people that don't love fantasy love this book. Yeah. The world building's amazing. Yeah. That's kind of a... Um, catch or an industry term but you feel like as you're reading this book like oh this magic could really work yeah and it relates to deeply understanding a thing yeah and if you can deeply understand a thing then you can have some control over it yeah and um I like that way of thinking about the world. And then the second book, Wise Man's Fear, I use that all the time to talk about there's three things that that a wise man should fear. Uh, a storm, a storm stormy sea, sea, a moonless night, and a calm man's anger. Yeah. And my, my wife pointed out, I don't lose my temper very often. And she's like, you need to be careful because when you lose your temper, your voice just raises like five decibels. But because you're never angry, the kids think you're yelling. At you. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I've started to tell my kids that because I'm the same way. I don't get angry often, but when I do, I'm pretty mad. <laughs> so I, you know, I think uh, it's controlled. Gandhi said anger is a gift, but you know, I prefer a new phone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I love that book. I, the only negative thing I have to say about it is that they got to finish it. So yeah. Patrick Roth, this, if you're watching business or listening to business podcast, <laughs> can you please freaking finish? Please. Book three? Yeah. So He's, can I ask you then why is way of Kings your favorite book? I would actually say probably name of the wind is actually like my top. Oh, I would really? say. Yeah. I, I just think like the mystery there is unbelievable. Just the whole way you built the book. But I love Way of Kings. I think because that first book especially is like such a comeback story. And it's like an underdog story. But I also love that the first book is about this idea of like, what is the value of a, of, a, of one individual and then extrapolated to many individuals? Mm-hmm. And kind of this group of people who everyone in society is like, these people are the worst. They're worthless. Yeah. They're not even seen as human. And then all of a sudden they become like the most valuable people in the society is a very interesting question and kind of flip. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm, I don't. I'm getting a little lost in book three and four. It's they get long, but I think I will never be able to look at that series without thinking of you because I think about I'd love you to write a leadership book and call it the King of Ways because I think about your leadership style and cultivating people's strengths and magical abilities is kind of similar to that. Yeah. So. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, we could talk about books. I, Name of the Wind is just so, if people haven't read it, it's unbelievable. Well, I, I think, though, why we both love stories is we just know that story is such a great way to 
communicate like deep meaning. Yeah. And my wife's like, why do you need to watch that movie with me? We're going to be in the quiet. Like, yeah, but we need this shared experience. Yeah. And then we decide to accept or reject these values that we just walked <laughs> together. Yeah. Well, it gives yeah. you so much short, uh, like a... Not a short shorthand. Yeah, shorthand. Like gives you the shorthand. Like, well, when, you know, when this happens, and uh, and that's what I think is so interesting with with like what you said about like understanding people. I think that's a lot of like if you understand people, you do not have control over them in like a malicious way, but you do un- know how to work with them. Like, oh, I deeply understand this person. I think that's one of the things I've learned as we've grown these companies. Is almost any time I talk to anyone, it's like, yeah, but you kind of don't understand that person, so that's why you're frustrated with them. If yeah. you understood them better, you would kind of see, or like they have their side of the story. And almost always, when two people come to me and are like, "Well, this is going on," and I'm frustrated, and this person is frustrated, I'm like, "You're both right, and you're both wrong." Yeah, almost every time. And I, and I think that's a very wise. Like I realize that about myself. Like there's things about me that are good that I see as good and are good and then there's things about me that I see as good and aren't good or they're just complex there's like we talk about this at creatively all the time that like our strengths are also our weaknesses and so you know it's one of the things I always warn people about working here is like one of the benefits is I'm the opposite of a micromanager which is really nice but but you get almost no direction and mm-hmm. so that's kind of the downside and so the the upside is you get a lot of freedom but then there's times where I also jump in and all of a sudden I want to have a lot of saying things and so there's that kind of plus and minus of of both sides of it. So I, th- I think your good friend Jess Larson taught us something really valuable when he was working with us is in order to work with people, you need to understand deeply what they want and help them accomplish. I think we you have to understand that first and then see, does that align with what you want to accomplish? And if not, then it's not a good match. Like no matter how yeah, skilled yeah. and talented they are, yeah. if what they want ultimately is not in, a, in line with what you want. But, you know, we had this, we were talking with a client about a year ago today. I was very, it was in December of last year. And their social media ads weren't, weren't working anywhere more. But their CMO had such contempt for people on social media. It's like, ah, oh, people on Facebook are so dumb. Yeah. And I can get that. Like sometimes people's hall could be, but I'm like, unless you're willing to love and empathize with those people, you'll never be able to market to them. Yeah. And if you just have this contempt for people, instead of saying like, no, they want reasonable things. They want their life to be just a little bit better. Can you yeah. help them make their life a little bit better? Then you can build a successful campaign. Yeah. Which I think is one of your superpowers of being able to understand where people are coming from and having empathy for people and then being like, oh, that's what you want. Let me help distill that down into a singular message of, oh, you're a side sleeper. Well, what you want is to not go like this. And let me help explain that in ways that are easy. But you know what? Uh, honestly, like that's actually my weakness. And my wife can tell you, like, I'm not an empath. Like some people are like, oh, I'm an empath. I'm yeah. not an empath. So I've learned my crutch for not being an empath is ask a lot of questions yeah. to figure to out understand what you want. That, like, yeah. And so that's a lot of the strategy retreat is asking like, but is that really what you're doing? Is that really what you're yeah. solving? And what is that uh, What is that pain really? Yeah. And trying. Because I think a lot of problems that we have in the world are created when we assume we know what people are thinking and what their motivations are. Yeah. Half of the political divide is caused by thinking the other side has evil intent. Yeah. It's like, no, they're just wrong. 
And then you meet uncertain, people. Un- uncertain things. Yeah. Not everything. Yeah. You meet a lot of people and who are that thing. I think, I can't remember who said this, but it was like, we just need to sit down more with people. Uh, you sit down and talk to someone and you realize, oh, was, there was an article, I think it was in the... New York Times or something where the guy just started inviting neighbors out who disagreed with him and they'd go for an hour long walk. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so he'd say like, oh, you're a Trump supporter. I'm not. Let's go talk for an hour. And he was like, every single time I did that, by the end of the walk, it was we were both worried about our kids, worried about our grandkids. We wanted the country to do well. We don't want people to suffer. And he was like, but it's so easy to think about that. And I think that's so much of marketing, like you're saying. If you're if you're looking at people who use social media and saying, oh, they're so stupid. Um, and I think it's also one of the things we talk about is a lot of times you talk to founders and they've forgotten that just because they were the founder doesn't mean that every customer is like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times we talk to cust- to founders and they're like, well, my brand is this. And it's like, no, that's kind of like your personal brand. Yeah. But if you actually go talk to your customers, that's not really who your customers are. Like you kind of think, um, you know, you think your customers are just people who, who uh, you know, do this, but that actually is not everyone. Um, we were talking to one of the companies we works with, work with who do a lot of stuff around travel, and they're like two guys who travel the world and do all these amazing adventures. And we were kind of talking about how sometimes, though, they forget that like a lot of the people who buy it are just business travelers. And yeah. they're traveling to a, a courtyard Marriott in some small suburb in Ohio. Yeah. And they well, just want it to be easy to grab their stuff. It's not that they're well, going they to feel, Thailand. They feel the pain more acutely because yeah. tra- travel is never fun for them. So anything that makes travel easier, yeah. it's a huge value save for them. Yeah. And so you don't need to tell talk to them about being on the top of yeah. Mount Everest because when with their free time they want to sit and watch TV or yeah. you know whatever. And I say that as someone who just recently stayed at a courtyard in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> that was my trip. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's not uh, as uh, not as glamorous as when uh, those guys go to Vietnam. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not as cool. I, there, there's a point when travel does start wearing on you, and that's also when you start liking all those travel amenities. But we try to challenge people on that a lot is we ask, how broad could your demographic be? That's one of our you know, some of our brainstorming activities that we do yeah. because they come in with a narrow idea like, oh, we're convinced that this type of person is the only person that's going to buy our product. And then you discover – and it's so delightful to discover all these people that are going to be interested in your yeah. if you talk to them in a different way. We've talked about the the blog Strong Towns before. Yeah. This guy, uh, um, Mike Marone, I believe, who's spoken in front of Congress and in front of presidents. And he's like, all of that effort I do takes six months of preparation and nothing happens. But then I build a park in my neighborhood and my na- my life and my neighbor's life improved. And you just have to like involve some community meetings. and Yeah. And just talking to people. And I, I think a lot of what we do relating to that empathy is trying to decode what they're saying. When somebody say your product's sustainable, what are you say? What are you really saying? Yeah. Because that language is codified. And some people, that's a noble thing. And some people, that is feels not noble or it feels like you're getting something by on them. But, or your sig- virtue signaling. Or, yeah. yeah. But people's like, there's no, we don't have put nasty chemicals in this. Okay, that means something to me. Yeah. Oh, we have paper-based. Oh, I like that because it's not just recycling. It's not. Yeah. It's not just greenwashing. It's 
actually a way about of telling the truth better, we hope. Yeah. By trying to decode and strip back language that has so much connotative weight behind it. Which is why I think as a brand, I mean, this is always the thing I'm pitching, especially here in Utah, because I think we're a little anti-agency. We kind of have a... Yeah. T- a a tendency to always build in house. And so I'm always telling people, and the reason I'm so pro agency is I just, I think, like you said, there's this power to having people who aren't drinking the Kool Aid coming and kind of being like, yeah, like I know you guys love this. I mean, we've talked about this so often with clients where they get in love with some industry term or some f- new fabric or a new material or something super trendy that if you go to like the mattress convention or the pillow bedding convention, everyone's talking about. And then you go to the average consumer and they're like, I don't give a crap. I don't care about tensile. I don't care about like thread count. Here's what I care about. Here are the real problems I'm suffering from. And I think that that's so important as a founder is that you don't get sucked too much into like, okay, you go to a lot of conventions, but when was the last time you talked to like one of your actual customers? And that's, I always, anytime I run into someone who's bought one, like we were at a party mm-hmm. and someone was like, I bought a pillow cube and then realized you owned it. I had no idea. Um, and I always love like, so what did you like? and What did you not like? And I want that feedback because I think it's so easy to yeah. get into this vacuum when you're, especially when you're not working working with outside agencies where like you get in this Kool-Aid drinking vacuum where everyone's just like, it's amazing and we're having all this success, but then you can't scale at some point because you've stopped thinking outside that group. And I think that's one of the most misunderstood. I'm amazed how few founders and marketers understand the bell curve of adoption. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I, it's, I think the easiest way for people to understand that is the megapixel de- debate. Like, yeah. When was the last time you thought about a megapixel? But when digital cameras were out, it was a race to the most megapixels. Yeah. Because they were trying to translate quality. And really, you just needed to say, like, oh, these take better pictures. Yeah. And communicate that by showing the better pictures. But we didn't have a great way to. But now we don't because we realized, oh, you can pack a lot of megapixels that are garbage into a phone or to a phone. And we're, I think, to the point with most phones, it's surpassed human detection like it's like ah, i can't tell the difference between those two it's yeah. interesting to see like iphone and google now shift to uh like the copy paste thing and the deleting yeah. people out of pictures and refocusing a picture that was out of focus like and adjust lighting and adjust yeah. your backgrounds and they're understanding the things that make your pictures look good no one cares about that a lot of a lot of numbers like oh we can't we can put a high number on this what does that mean for, you know? Yeah. And I used to pride myself that I had a lot of big words, my sesquipedalian proclivities. <laughs> but uh, now, like, we spend a lot of time in, our, like, two or three rewrites. Can we see this simpler? Can we see this clearer? We, yeah. We like to have a hinge statement. At one point in your commercial, can I boil down my whole commercial to one sentence that's so clear? This company does this by doing this. Yeah. And... All the funny stuff matters, but it needs to be so clear that anybody could understand it. Yeah. That's actually one of my favorite exercises we do in the retreats. I don't know if we do it every time, but I love asking founders, explain to me in one sentence, one sentence only, your company, and then founders explain it in 25 sentences. You're like, okay, so that was really good. That was like a page. Yeah. Now one sentence. And they're like, okay. And then they do it and they're like, crap, that was four sentences. You're like, yeah, one sentence. 
Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people just can't think about. Yeah, actually, we always do. We always start with it. It's now I call it the elevator love letter. Like, give me your elevator pitch. And I make everybody in the company that set the retreat do it. Yeah. And it's amazing. Sometimes we'll go through 10 people and I'm like, you guys talked about this mission you're on. Nobody said we sell shoelaces. Like, yeah. That's, that's what you said. Like you've talked about. Yeah. You know, and I, I believe in understanding your why, but you should also know a little bit about your what you're yeah. doing. And then they go full circle. And there's another exercise that kind of mirrors that at the end. And some of these are flexible. We have a lot of uh, brainstorming games, but with creating taglines at the end and it's by the time you've spent this time brand exploring, it becomes so much easier for them to say, oh, we make this in this way, and here's a way of saying that rhymes, here's a way of saying it funny, here's a way of, and really understanding yeah. how to talk about, some founders come in and they've got it dialed because they've pitched a million times. Yeah. But that's also the most fun time to see founders flounder is when they're. Yeah. <laughs> I only have two sentences to tell you, it's like, it's a shoe, or it's a, you know. Yeah. Let's talk about it simply. Yeah. No, it's awesome. Uh, so if someone comes in and they're like, our marketing isn't working, what's like your three pieces of advice that they should think about? People who, a lot of people are struggling since iOS 14. We're hearing a lot of people didn't have a good Black Friday. Like what are kind of the, the three things you would tell people uh, that they need to do? If, if you feel like it's really not working, then you've got to try something different, you know? Yeah. So uh, talking to an agency definitely can help. I think there's the other end of an agency that's that where they're drinking their own Kool-Aid about their yeah. brand or whatever. Um, I like to uh, – one of my favorite exercises is share the product with like five or six people. Say, hey, what do you like about this? Yeah. And it's very something very similar to what you've done. And then compare that on-the-ground feedback, not focus group, and like, hey, is, are you hitting that in your messaging? Is yeah. that clear? How clear is that? I usually like to look through what they've got, look through their whole funnel of content and see if there's any major gaps there. Um, uh, I'd look at how many touch points they're doing and how aggressive. I think a lot of people that meet challenges, I would say, well, what were you relying on that wasn't working? Um, because they, a lot of companies didn't have a strategy. They had two tactics that were working really well. Yeah. And I was like, well, does a strategy involve more than one tactic? Like, because it could be, it's usually multiple questions like email capture and frequency and what does the top, middle, and bottom of their funnel look like? Um, I would sometimes I'd say like oh what is the top middle and bottom of your funnel look like yeah because if they don't know that there's different ads that should be doing different things are you treating it all as kind of one I think that's one of the things we've seen so often like most people treat their whole funnel as the same mm -hmm. and so they're not they don't think about you know when you're first grabbing someone's attention what does that content look like versus someone who's now aware of who you are and is trying to decide whether to buy. Like the the fact that a lot of brands aren't thinking about that, it's like such a core thing. That yeah. first touch has to be different from touch two plus. Yeah. Because uh, if, so. that, if that first touch can make even a little bit of money, then your marketing becomes so much more scalable. Yeah. If not, your all of your metrics are lagging metrics. Yeah. I think one thing that our, our uh, clients are most surprised by is that we don't like drop in the gar garbage everything they've done. Like, yeah. 
because usually most brands, if they still if they're still alive, they're doing something really well. Yeah, and that has blinded them to the pieces that they're missing. Yeah, and so we try to keep. We think I've been talking more and more about a brand ecosystem. What does your brand ecosystem look like, and where are the big gaps? Yeah. The niche, uh, niches that need to be filled. I think almost always it's top of funnel content. Yeah. I, I've been telling someone came in last week that I was talking to, and they were asking me, I was like, to take this ad, because I asked them, like, what are you guys running at the top of the funnel? And they showed it to me. I was like, this is horrible. Like, it's yeah. really bad. Uh, it's so Kool Aid y. Yeah. Like, it is just full Kool Aid. Like, minute and a half in, I don't know what you guys do. Like you're selling me the Kool-Aid and the mission and the vision and we're helping, you know, this group of people and we're, and I'm like, what do you sell? And they're like, oh, that's a really good point. It's like, yeah, like 90 seconds in, you mentioned the product like really quickly and don't really explain what it does. Um, And I think that that's something that like so many companies do. They follow the the big brand version of marketing, which is like, just mention your name. Like, well, because everyone knows what Nike does now. But Nike commercials used to be a lot more descriptive and explaining things. And and so I think that, like you said, like you got to think about the different parts of the funnel. But almost always, I always tell people like, grab a phone with your commercial on it and show it to a stranger and watch them watch it. The other day we had someone come in from one of the big box stores for Pillow Cube and we showed the original version of the story of the cube. Mm-hmm. So like that ad. That needed some re-editing, yeah. Needed tons of re-editing, lots of like jokes that didn't land. It didn't have subtitles, so all the jokes with the Latin soap opera yeah. didn't land because you didn't know what they were saying. But it was great because I just watched their reactions the whole time. And then they're like, oh, that was really good because there's a lot of great stuff in there. But it was funny just watching them in person it confirmed every change we made later. Like all the stuff we cut out and you guys optimized and made better was all you could just see just by watching someone watch it. Like, oh yeah, that joke doesn't land. No one in the room laughed at it. And so by removing that, and so I think that it's those key things that people just don't think about. Maybe one good way to talk about it is this. So we have a way of looking at big data on like, you know, let's look at 100,000 viewers and how they relate to this video. But... I think for most, yes, like three things. I'm like, take a look at some small data. Yeah. Get five people in a room, watch your commercials, and then ask them, what is this? What does it do? Would you buy it? You know? And when you ask them, would you buy it? They're going to tell you why they wouldn't. Yeah. Um, I do like to run test ads a lot because that answers the question. You're not just getting their opinion on whether to buy it. You see whether they'd buy it. Yeah. Um, but we love to deliver videos and turn the audio on and just listen to the client yeah. and see where they're reacting. Um, we love, you know, I love showing things to my wife and she hates how much stuff I bring home to try. But it's a really great test yeah. of people that are not in, that she's not trying to close a client. She's yeah. Not. And she's not trying to impress you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's I think it's, it's so hard to listen to the people who are... It's kind of like you don't want to listen to either extreme. You want to listen to the people in the middle. The people who are like, this is horrible. You shouldn't do it. And then the people who are like, this is amazing. Like your mom. 
Yeah. Like, you should do this for sure. You're so smart. <laughs> Those are the people you kind of like, okay, now go find the people who are like, eh, I like parts of it and I don't like parts of it. And I think that's what we did with PillCube. We saw, okay, this first version, there's things people like and there's things people don't like. So let's optimize and make it better. And we just keep doing that. So, Yeah. And I think in between all the big data that you need somebody who has some instinct that's like, yeah. oh, oh, that's we look at like second by second retention of where people are watching. But then we ask, like you see it, watch a drop in viewership. I'm like, oh, was that because nobody liked that joke or because they realized it was a commercial and that was a good drop in viewership? Yeah. Is we call it, a, is that a drop or a sort? And, yeah. um, and you need somebody ultimately interpreting that data, but it, it is really good. Like one of our great tests is walk in the editing room. What jokes are the editors repeating? Yeah. Like that's got to stay in, even if I don't love that joke. Yeah, I love it if a, if a commercial goes out and like twenty percent of the jokes I don't love, but somebody else does. We know it will reach wide because it can reach somebody like me and somebody not like me. Yeah, so that's at least two people that it will reach. Yeah, yeah, different. It won't just appeal to me and my friends. Which I think it, again goes back to that point with like sometimes founders make stuff that only they find funny. Uh, or they're not open to stuff that's different than what they find is funny. And it's like, yeah, but there's a lot of different senses of humor out there. And so uh, same way, like if someone finds that joke funny, I remember when we did the first Clean Cult commercial, it was like all the jokes I liked, there was kind of like half the room, like half the jokes and the other half of the room, like the other jokes. And that was great. We realized like, oh, that means there's now two groups who find it funny, not one group. And, yeah. and I think so often brands, they're like, well, we're sarcastically funny. So we don't want any like kind of, you know, slapstick jokes. And you're like, you kind of want all of them. You want you want a little bit of something for everybody. Well, and I think you've, you've pointed out before, you want your brand to be like the guy at the party that you want to hang out with. Yeah. The, and so they need to surprise you with their humor a little bit. But then you're like, okay, I kind of know what this is. Yeah. And so a little bit serious, a little bit funny, offer a little bit of value. A little bit intellectual. Yeah. Teach them something they didn't know. Yeah. You don't want to, yeah, don't want to be just stupid jokes. But, you know, every once in a while, somebody getting hit on the head with something, there's value. In it. <laughs> there's some, there's yeah. some humor there. Well, we've reached the time. Uh, thanks for coming. We'll have to have you back because uh, that 30 minutes went fast. So thanks for everything. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And, you know, anytime you want to have me on a podcast or just talk about Name of the Wind. <laughs> You're in? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, right. Dave. No, thank you.